Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and watching The Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, Today, we have another My City, My Health panelist who was an attendee last year, uh, Julian Neely. Man, thank you so much, bro, for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, thank you for allowing me to be here. I appreciate it. This is this is big. <laughs> <laughs> got the whole production. <laughs> hey, I gotta show you before we leave. I gotta show you a picture of how it started uh-huh. and how it's going. Okay. Because it was big ashy out here when I first started. <laughs> <laughs> big ashy. I mean, the, the Zoom podcast video was it was it was crazy. Hey. But start, you, you got to start somewhere. I'm, I'm real moisturized right now. There you go. But I'm still still levels. But, hey, enough okay. about me. Um, I really – I'm super excited that you're on the community panel this year. Um, not only just because of the, the work you do in the community, which I want you to tell the people a little bit about. Okay. Um, but you can just tell your passion about improving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I saw you on – well, I knew you before this, but I saw you at a panel at Broadlands. Mm-hmm. And – you can just tell there's a difference between answering a question and being like, no, y'all need to really get this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So uh, before we get into it, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, my name is Julian Neely. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. I went to, I was in the Johnson School District. If you talk about, <laughs> if you talk about zoning. Yeah. Um, I was, I guess, I don't know if you say a product of zoning, but resulting of zoning between Johnson and Des Moines, I was a part of the Johnson School District, but a Des Moines resident. Um, so I, K through 12, went to, through the Johnson School District, went to Iowa State University um, to pursue a degree in journalism and mass communications with a minor in sociology. Um, while at Iowa State, um, I got really involved because I wanted to continue the work that I was already doing here in the community. Um, but really, honestly, that got me involved in really identified my passion for the community Mm -hmm. was the protest that we organized back in like 2014 after the murder of Michael Brown. Mm Um, I remember the, um, the news coverage and the stories that were being depicted in 2012 of Trayvon Martin, seeing that on CNN, seeing that on MSNBC, um, and other outlets and just being in like, distraught and frustrated and angry um because one being in a predominantly white school like you don't have a lot of allies or a lot of advocates especially at that time well at least that will speak up and say something exactly Mm -hmm. and so um i finally got some courage just to like buy a sweatshirt off of amazon um that said i am trayvon martin and wore it to school and that was like my first like Mm. step into like advocacy and um, being like a sort of an advocate um, in our community. Um, 
And after that, I began to get like people coming up to me, students, teachers, giving me eyes and stuff like that. I remember having a student that came up to me and was just like, you know, it was Trayvon Martin's fault, right? And I was like, Yo. whoa. And that was my first conversation um, slash argument with the individual about my beliefs um, and also standing up for social justice, standing up for my people, um, especially the things that the unjust things that happen to our communities. And when Mike Brown happened, uh, when the murder of Mike Brown happened and seeing the news coverage of his deceased body still in, in the middle of the street and seeing the coverage on that, I remember a friend called me, his name is uh, Awal Muhammad, and he was like, yo, I'm tired of this. Like, mm. I'm, I'm tired of this. And I'm like, I am too. And we put our minds together, worked with uh, Courtney Caldwell and uh, Linda Brown, um, who were two students um, in the Des Moines area, but also spoken word poets. And we put our brains together and organized a protest outside the Polk County Courthouse um, in 2014. And um, we had the support of Corinthian Baptist Church, our pastor, um, and other community members. And not only did we have the opportunity to speak, not only did Courtney and uh, Linda, they were doing this um, Black Boy Chronicle series at that mm. time, um, really just telling the story of like black boys and the things that they have to go through. And so they did their per, uh, their performance, but then you had children that were inspired to at the age of like four that would come up and like, I have something to say. Like, right. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of like seeing this happen to my people. Like, what do I look like, look forward to if this is going to be the continued outcome for my people and people that look like me or that identify like me. And so that right there inspired me to continue that work. And so when I went to Iowa State, it was like media. I was like, find me the right. Black Alliance right now. I yeah. wanted to continue this this uh, this work and trying to push the needle forward. Um, and I had a mentor, Marcus Flynn, who now runs uh, Black Men Teach out in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, who just took me under his wing and was like, "I'm gonna show you the ropes." And he, uh, I got elected to be freshman action team delegate for the Black Student Alliance, um, and led some different things, and then eventually got tapped to join student government as the director of diversity and inclusion, which was. A sort of a new role i was taking it from the inaugural person and kind of just like transformed it a little bit right um because i was like we have to make some leadway i'm tired of like beginning you see like you hear stories and stuff uh, about what students experience black students brown students experience students of color um, at iowa state and then you also begin to experience it yourself um, and my big thing is before I speak, I have to do my research. That's something mm. my parents always taught and instilled in me when we were young. It was like, before you speak on anything, right. make sure you've done your research so you're not sharing no false information, no misleading information. Right. Make sure it's straight facts. And so that's what I did. I was talking to people. I did my research. And I remember in it was like 2015, 2016, Mizzou was going through a big protest. Um, because of some racial things that were happening on their campus. And there was a brother that was going on a hunger strike. And our, since our, since Mizzou is part of our Big 12, um, and our BSAs, our BSUs are connected, we were like, we have to stand in solidarity. Like, we can't just allow y'all to fight this on your own. And so we held a protest ourselves at Beardshire Hall, which is where our admin are typically at, our university president and stuff. And everybody got, some people got opportunity to speak and protest and i remember i finally just got the courage to speak and i just shared all the things i've been gain began to like absorb from stories and research that i've been able to conduct and i was just like stuff has to change um and we have to hold our administrators accountable and 
I remember um, stating something on the lines of like, our, because at the time it was President Leaf, Stephen Leaf, who was our uh, university president. And I remember saying something on the lines of, you've shared all these different things and there's no measurement um, proving that you've pushed the needle forward. Um, and at a certain point, there's we're going to have to hold you accountable. And if you have not said true to what you've promised our community, right. um, you have to resign. I remember saying the words like resign <laughs> and like, you know, people at that time, like they're energized and stuff like that. Some people make it looks, um, but I remember being pulled out of a BSA meeting by um, some admin <laughs> in our student body president at that time and being like, um, we heard what you said <laughs> and was pretty much just like, um, like where are your facts at trying to challenge me. And I'm like, I did my research. And you can't sit here and tell me that those experiences are not true mm. um, because what has changed? Right. There's no measurement saying that the retention of black students has increased. There's nothing saying that the amount of scholarships that you give out to black students has increased. Um, the experiences overall in regards to resources, to the qualitative experience or data that you that aligns with their experience has improved. We, mm. I see... Black students struggling with paying for school that are out of state. I see black students struggling socially um, at Iowa State. Um, yes, there's some great success stories, 100%, but we cannot over use that to overshadow other people's right. experience. Like, people are struggling. And so what are we doing? Besides you coming challenging me, what are we doing about it? Why are we not putting our minds together? And so that kind of inspired me more. And I was like, I am going to see where this kind of takes me a little bit. And I was in journalism, so it gave me a little bit more flexibility because mm. I wanted to be in engineering. Um, but STEM or but journalism gave me the opportunity to, one, tell stories that typically get unheard mm. or, or untold. And then second, it gave me the flexibility to be invested in my community. And so right. that's what I committed to and got a, a lot of opportunities, a lot of um, great things that I never foresaw myself being a part of that I got to experience. So. Right. That's dope. You know, you hear these stories about people starting similar or their journey starting similar. They the the murder of insert black man or black boy. But it's like there's such a beauty in that in a way I, I, I try to find the, the positive and like it kind of sparked this social justice thing where people were really like, hey, this is enough is enough. Mm -hmm. So there is there's some beauty in that, you know. I try to find. Um, it's hard because you hate to see somebody yep. die, but um, it's not like they're gone and forgotten. Yeah. Um. So with that, you know, what what energy are you bringing to your current role? Let's talk about what you do for the community okay. now here in Des Moines. Um, all that energy that you have that you had at, at the uh, Iowa State University. Mm -hmm. Uh, how are you bringing that energy to the community now? You came back. Yeah. Hey, I'm hey, I'm back, Des Moines, <laughs> right? Yeah. How how are you manifesting that and and what with uh, with what you do now? Well, I, I've learned a lot over the course of a couple of years, and so now I'm the United League and Link Director for United Way of Central Iowa, and League is what I um what I what I was initially introduced to United mm -hmm. Way for, which was a affinity group, donor affinity group under United Way that focused on black economic mobility. Um, 
and it was bringing together black donors and other allies that really wanted to invest into the black community when it came to the different strategies underneath our economic opportunity um, element, which was, you know, job education, job training, job placement, building assets, and also understanding the tax code um, for your own benefit. And so all of that has contributed to a lot of different things that we've experienced or the different disparities that we face in our community, um, from housing to access to healthcare, to our educational system, um, to owning your own home, to the job that you have mm -hmm. access to, um, or that you're informed about or even exposed to at a young age. Um, and so it was something that I was really intrigued in giving back. Um, I was at a point in my life where I was like, I'm giving a lot of my time outside of work to the community and I felt like my career was in was unbalanced because I wasn't feeling mm. like fulfilled, I wasn't excited. And then this opportunity came about, uh, my member Zakaria Hill sent it to me, who's the executive director and uh, co-founder of Supply Hive. And she's like, Ju Julian, you need to look at this. And I'm like, all right, I'll look at it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my mentor, Phil Hall was like, Julie, I think you really need to look at this. And I was like, mm. Unc, if you said that, I'll, <laughs> I'll look at it. That cosign was real. <laughs> yeah. So um, I applied, and as I was going through the interviews, I was like, yes, this is where I need to be. This is my mm. contribution at this moment in this stage of my life. This is the contribution I can begin to make. Because um, I was giving back to my community. I was able to be out in the community as a job. Um and not feel guilty of like missing work hours, right. being in the community. Because that's what you are. That's what you're already doing. That's what you're supposed to do. Exactly. And so I was like, I feel like God is leading me here because everything's going well with these interviews. Um, I'm moving forward. Um, I felt good, like the energy inside. Like my wife would tell you, like my energy coming home was a lot, <laughs> a lot better than it was before. And I think all of that. It was like, this is where I'm supposed to be at. This is what I'm supposed to be contributing to my community. And so now it's really, from all the experiences I've had and what I've seen be done right, what I've seen be done wrong, things that we haven't even tried yet, and kind of taking all those lessons into one and seeing how I can maneuver. Because um, with League, it's very similar to, it has a similar purpose and mission to the Director's mm -hmm. Council and the One Economy Initiative. And so my biggest goal was reaching out to Miss Terry Cowell Johnson yeah. and being like, okay, one, your name is listed as one of the advisors for United League. I also know that you serve on the director's council's board of directors. What is this relationship supposed to be? What do you envision this relationship supposed to be? What is our role? Because there's no reason for me to interrupt, disrupt anything that y'all are doing. How can we support? Because right. we're all working towards the same goal. Is there a piece of the work that y'all are doing that you are just like, we don't have the capacity to do. Um, we're not interested in doing. We want to focus more on this component of it. Right. Um, and so we begin to have those conversations. And a lot of it kind of aligned with, like, programming events and, like, convening people. And I'm like, bet I can do that. Right. And then they're going to focus more on systems. And so that's an ongoing relationship that we're trying to develop and make sure that we can partner or at least coordinate with one another. That's a thing. I, that's a term that I've been taking on since 2020. It's like, how can we coordinate? Cause how can we coordinate? I know yeah. like we also can't collaborate all the time, but like there's things that we have expertise in our strengths in either mm -hmm. from our talents, our uh, exposure, our experiences that we know that we can do well on, but we have an interest in this piece, but we, that's like one of our weaknesses. How can we assign that weakness to another organization that has that strength 
and then coordinate with one another um, to make that overarching impact. And so that's kind of the approach that I've been taking with United League is like, what are some other organizations that are out here that are committed and invested in pushing the needle forward when it comes to economics in our community and then identifying like what role do you want to play and then what is your strengths so we can begin to put this like puzzle piece together um, so we can make this overarching impact. Right. So as you're, as you're going through that process, what what were some of the, the things that you noticed before even getting really deep into the research or looking at the one hour report mm -hmm. that you were like, hey, this is what's going on in the community. This needs to change. What would that be? Say that quick question one more time. Was there was there something that you were noticing in the community that needed to be improved? I guess it was a few things. One was just how we how our conversations went mm -hmm. when we were in spaces together. Um, I remember listening to even younger leaders and also seasoned leaders about like. We're tired of having the same old conversation. Right. We've been having this conversation since since the sixties, since the seventies. Like, mm -hmm. we haven't moved anywhere. Why? I'm tired of having the same old conversation. And so that was another insight of like, okay, we have to approach this differently. And then it was also peers um, struggling. Um, peers, you know, dropping job to job, stressed out about uh, paying rent. Um, stressed out about you know have being able to go to the doctor and the stigmas about going to a doctor um, and then I would also say during my time with the one BLM it also provided more insight into folks that are truly struggling or like below the poverty line mm -hmm. and when it comes to like access to food um, where they have to go to get access to food, transportation, jobs, the stigmas that they are faced with uh, because of like their situation. And I think all of that was insightful knowledge of like, we have to look at this completely different because everyone's face faces something different. And your experience with certain things are gonna be different than the other person next to you. Um, and so it can't be a cookie cutter. It can't be something mm -hmm. that we manufacture through a production line like, it's going to be customizable case by case type thing. Um, but I think those experiences are like, even when we went out and gave out um, supply bags to those that were in like um, camps around the city um, that provided some new insight. Um, when we try to develop a community garden, when we, we're just speaking with different people and different challenges that they had. Right. Um, I think that a lot of that inspired me uh, a little bit further. That's dope. I think people believe people even within in Des Moines think since Des Moines is a smaller city that we don't have big city problems. Yeah. And if you look at the the food insecurity in Des Moines, it's great. Even I had a friend of mine tell me it wasn't. Um, we don't have food deserts we have food apartheid because a food desert is, is a natural but here in des moines it is there may be a space that could be perfect for a grocery store but it's not zoned for a grocery store mm -hmm. because of where it's at yep. so that person in that community has to go to casey's or has to go to the food pantry which the food pantry ain't that great either I see diabetics all the time that have to go to the food pantry, and all there are are baked goods. 
You know what I mean? So those are problems that we're having in our community. Yeah. But I don't think people realize it. it's because it's Des Moines. There's not, mm-hmm. nah, it's, it's real out here yep. for a lot of people in our community. Mm-hmm. I would say, too, is I think Des Moines brings a lot of people to the city. Um, either you're coming back, this is your hometown, mm-hmm. or you went to college here, yep. you found a career here, or you found a career opportunity that brought you to Des Moines. And something that I think is really important is to really learn the history of Des Moines so that things make sense. Um, something I did when I came back to Des Moines was really deep dive into the history of Des Moines, from you know the early 1900s to the 1940s to the 1970s. And you talk about Center Street, you talk about the jazz presence here, the connection to Chicago, all these different things. Um, and you begin to understand things a little bit, um, especially like the Urban Renewal Project um, that, you know, built the highway, disrupted our disrupted mm-hmm. our black community and what that put what type of situation that put us in. Um, because we in a way we lost ownership over how our community should be structured. Um, the easeability of creating a business in your neighborhood. Like there's a now I feel like a little bit more challenges of getting a physical location. Um, either because, you know, property taxes are high um, property in general is higher mm-hmm. than what it used to be. Um, but those businesses could have created generational opportunities for people's lineage to be able to build off of the business that they currently had and all of that stuff got disrupted. Um, and then also I think we don't learn all the pathways that we can go to advocate and also make influence in our community. Um, because I'll be honest, I didn't learn more, I didn't learn about zoning until probably college or right after college. Mm. And I think there's a probably a good amount of people in our community that still don't understand it um, and how important it is to be a part of those conversations. So I think one is a learning curve and this is stuff that doesn't get taught. Um, and there, you can make your own decision if that's intentional or not, but there's a, there's a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, why aren't why aren't we being taught the different avenues of where these decisions decisions are being made and how what is the culture of like city operation? Right, because it's yeah. I have a few opinions on that, but you know I'm not gonna get into that too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so um, I I was having a conversation with with a public health friend of mine, and we, he was he said something to me that I felt like was super super dope and that everybody is a part of health health equity and public health no matter where you work what you do um and you attended the first my city my health conference last year uh tell me from your perspective uh it being more of a public health health equity kind of feel what were your thoughts about it um what any takeaways what anything that you learned from that experience i guess i didn't know what to expect actually when i first (laughs) uh came honestly i i saw it pop up on my linkedin i saw you posting about it um, i saw other people posting about it i was like this is a place where i should be at and so i went and i learned a lot honestly um from the mental health aspect of it uh to access to healthcare, um the conversation regarding like the not food desert but the food apartheid mm-hmm. um and just being in a space of wisdom experience and insight being shared um Often, I think majority of that conference, I just sat there and listened and took notes. Mm. There's maybe a couple times I spoke, but most of the time I was just like, 
I just want to listen. Um, and if there's anything that is missing that we need to discuss, I'll share it. And I think I mentioned like talking about how we were in a food de- a desert and mm-hmm. how um, we only have this one grocery store here um, that's supposed to serve X number amount of people. And then we have all these gas stations and those gas stations are turning into, you know, fast food spots. Yep. Um, they're, they sell alcohol, um, but we don't have what our suburban neighbors have. Like my parents still live in Johnston. I see what is out in Johnston. I see, I, we live in Ankin. We just bought a home in Des Moines. I see the difference. Um, and so it's beginning to recognize those components and start asking the question, why? Why don't we have more grocery stores and um, specific mileage of neighborhoods? Um, why don't we have more access to healthy or natural foods? Why don't we have more community gardens? Why don't we have more community fridges? Um, and why? And honestly, just asking the question, why? Why? Right. And then starting there and beginning to really understand and then be like, okay, this is where we went wrong. Now, how do we fix it? Yeah, facts. So this year on the panel, right, is, are there any conversations that you're excited about having with the other panelists and the moderator and, and the audience? You know, what would you like to bring to the conference this year? One is to learn. And second is just to give more insight to what our situation is, but also strategies that mm-hmm. could help push us forward. Um so my interns are here. I know they're in the background. Yeah, but, shout out. Uh, Paul, who's been working with us all summer, um, he comes through the EKD YXL program. He's been doing research on the black economic mobility. And I started assigning him different reports. Uh, I think it was like the first or second day I just laid out like printed reports. and was like, hey, I need you to read through these. Because um, to understand, like this mm. is the work that we are trying to resolve. Um, this is... These are the, some of the potential strategies that we can begin to propose and construct um, in our communities to help us advance. And some of the things that we learned is that X number of percentage of our um, community is eligible to purchase a home, mm. but is too fearful because of the things that we've faced historically with banks, or they just don't have the knowledge of the different programs or resources to be able to get that home. Mm. Um, aspects of like jobs like we just presented our uh impact report to our don't our to our advisory board and we're was it five 57.1 percent um of yeah. black people in our in the workforce are eligible of facing some income income shock or losing their job due to technology advancement and it's because we are overpopulated in manufacturing retail food service, healthcare, where some of the departments that we're in, they will replace with technology because it's more affordable for the company, mm. um, which will put our community in dire need. And so how do we get people into jobs that are, that one, provide job security, but two, provide financial security for their generation, but the generations to come, and so that they can, once again, have a little bit more influence into how their community operates and how it's constructed. Man, I would love to get your interns' input on that at some point in this episode, on this interview. Yeah. That'd be that'd be kind of cool. They're like, "Oh, don't put me on the <laughs> Don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's. I think one that's going to be a great conversation to have with that panel mm-hmm. that we we put together with you, with Lewis, Ken, um, uh, Billy Weathers. 
I think that's going to be a very insightful conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and that's, and I'm biased because, you know, uh, my city, my health, um, was founded by Larry Twitty and I, so I have a lot in it, mm -hmm. but I feel like the space that we create, created allows for those conversations that happen open and honestly. Yeah. And that's what I'm most excited about. I'm excited about you saying something and the crowd, because of the energy we have, not getting, like not getting upset, mm -hmm. but absorbing it and yeah. then asking, it, asking a question and getting to a solution. Mm -hmm. Because what's the point of having the conference if we're just going to keep talking about the yes. problem? You know what I mean? Yes. That's what's, that was one of the main reasons why we structured what we did. Okay, cool. What's one idea you could take away from this? Mm -hmm. Because we, we all know the, it's, it sucks out here. Yeah. We, okay, we get it. Now what? Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. <laughs> you know, now what? We know the problem. But, but now what? Man, Julian, so moving on, talking more about the community. You know what? Uh, where do you see the future of Des Moines? Like you've been doing this role for a, what a year and some change, or a few years now. A year. Um, is there, from your perspective, is there a light at the end of the black community, you know, tunnel? Like, what what do you see in the future for us? I believe there is, and as we get more involved, um, one thing I think is it steps to it. As we learn from the past. We identify what, 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 what worked, what didn't work, and what we didn't even attempt to try, and then use that to inform us on how to construct our strategy. I think we have great potential to really see great progress and success in our community. Um, and once put our families in better positions, um, and our generations to come in better positions. Like we talk about generational wealth all the time, but I think that comes not only from the dollar, but also from our physical health. Um, we, I think we talked about the stigma of, you know, black uh, male mental health. We mm -hmm. talk about the stigma of going to the doctor um, because you don't have that doctor that looks like you and understands you. Yeah. Um, and then I think what we've seen, even in these last couple of years, like with the, Black Doula Collective uh, with um, more health professionals getting out into the community and educating people and even working with other organizations to continue that message. We are gaining that knowledge, which will then inspire and excite people to get more involved from a systematic standpoint. So I think it starts with education, motivation and determination, and then being, a being able to put all the energy together to really come up with some type of plan and strategy where we can really change the trajectory of mm. our community. But, and really, so we just bought a house. So I'm kind of going through, like, you talk about, like, all the people that live in your house and all this different stuff, and you have to clean the house, deep clean right. it, all this different stuff, because you don't want that debris there. We haven't cleaned up the debris in our community from all the historical things that have happened to us. A lot of mm. that stuff is still lingering. Like you think about people that might smoke, like smoke tobacco in right. a car and you go buy a car and I still got that tobacco smoke. You right. gotta somehow clean out that, that debris, that smell. And it takes a lot of takes to clean out that smell and it takes time. And so we have to really clean that out before we begin to implement plans because if we implement plans too prematurely, that debris can interrupt that. 
because mm. we haven't fixed that debris. So you talk about redlining, you talk about plans that cities have made um, 20, 10 years ago that are still in progress and we haven't resolved those. Even if we come up with something, that plan could possibly still disrupt whatever new plan we came up with. And so looking at it at a holistic standpoint, there's a lot of different avenues that we have to explore. And I think as we begin to learn and understand, we're understanding our, our perspective is expanding from all the mm -hmm. different um, components that are connected to it. It's like a web. Right. So two-part question. One, do you believe understanding policy is a part of cleaning that debris? And two, um, what is an easy way for people to get into understanding policies that may be affecting their life and they have zero idea? Yes, under and my, my perspective is yes, to understand policies is crucial. Reading policies is not the funnest thing in the world. Mm -mm. It's not, but there's lessons in it. Um, second thing is working with your elected officials, especially ones that you trust, to kind of like break it down to you in layman's terms so that you better understand it will be crucial. And then folks that are invested in it. Once again, going back to the strengths piece, like not everybody's gonna have the strength to read through that language, but we got PhD, black PhDs in our community. We have black lawyers in our community. We have black policymakers in our community um, that can really break that stuff down and have a passion for it. And also have a passion for our community that can begin to educate folks or even working with other organizations that already kind of break down policies, mm -hmm. walls, um, to make sure that's getting distributed to our community and people have access to it. Because a lot of people don't know where to go. Right. Honestly, like looking for a lot of different documents, th that even for the state of Iowa, if you look at, try to look up like different bills that are pending or um, that have been signed, it's kind of hard if you don't know the bill's code and you only mm. know it by like the news terms. Right. And so there's different methods and strategies that you have to like learn to be able to get the information that you're seeking it's similar to like research like mm. there's different methodologies there's different theories and all these different things that we have to learn but unfortunately with some of our systems that house all this content it's just hard to, to find mm. that's crazy but like you said there are people that know how to find it Absolutely. and know how to they digest it and give it to you in a way that we can understand mm -hmm. so it's just now it's just instead of finding that policy is finding those people absolutely and getting them involved yeah. and also getting folks involved that you might not ordinarily see because there's a mm -hmm. lot of people out here that get over salt like mm -hmm. people oversee um and they don't get the opportunity to share because they have a lot of knowledge like how many universities we have just in our proximity of des moines like there's a lot of people that we can reach yeah or even just include in that type of conversation no the majority real. of them have poli sci, liberal arts, um, or something related to public policy right. professors that are either actively constantly doing uh, research on it, doing presentations, publishing articles and research journals that would be more than happy to come and speak about the stuff that they found and the knowledge they have. That's good to know. Cause I, I would love to have them on the podcast. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yo, didn't even cross <laughs> my mind. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, Julian, thank you so much for being here today, man. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you guys for being here, even though y'all don't want to get on the mic. That's cool. Um, 
He's like, do you want you want to get on, Timmy? Like, you want to oh, get you on? You in, this, you in the fresh suit, bro. You in the fresh suit, bro. He's like, it's all good, bro. I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but <laughs> again, hey, well, Paul's a future CPA, so make sure you reach out to oh, him okay, in a couple that's what's years. Up. You got Sineke, who's a local filmmaker here in the community, so make sure y'all check them out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Julian, for anybody that's listening that wants to just want to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, yeah. uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the biggest p- place to find me at, or I'll be more than happy to connect with you via email or phone and get coffee or something and have a conversation. But you, you'll finally find me, see me around in different community events, so don't hesitate to come up to me. I'm a friendly guy, so. Okay, <laughs> all right. And I'll make sure I link the LinkedIn and um, the website as well in the, the description of this podcast uh, and on YouTube. But, um, again, thank you so much. And, everybody, thank you for watching the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time.